Well, I'm going to ask you to share if you have examples. You don't have to give us the name, but examples in your work as you've interacted with so many leaders, whether it's in industry or in communities or in congregations, doesn't matter. But could you share a couple of key qualities that you have observed in a domain, in a domain you tell us, that really either you would expect a leader to possess or you learned from that leader that, oh, that one is important. Can you share such examples with us? I've been uh, studying conscious leaders for uh, the last couple of decades, you know, and historic figures in business, in politics, but also contemporary leaders. And I've tried to distill what I've learned in terms of what defines them into an acronym, and the acronym is selfless. And the word itself is important because you cannot be a selfish human being and call yourself a leader. I've come to strongly believe that because that means that you're going to look at the people you lead and you're going to see them as ways for you to achieve your personal goals. Then I'm going to use all these people to get to whatever goal I have, which is typically defined in power and money. So that is the definition of a tyrant. That is not a leader. The true leader is there to take people to a better place. You know, we talked about self-actualization that Maslow had, but then Viktor Frankl talked about self-transcendence. Are you able to think beyond the self to the collective self, right? So I think that is an essential prerequisite. You have to fundamentally be more of a selfless person, that you have an ego, but as the Dalai Lama said, it's a serving ego, it's not a deserving ego, mm-hmm. that you're coming from that place. And then it stands for the qualities. So it starts with strength. You have to be a strong human to be a leader. And what that means to me is moral courage, which we can see how short supply that is in the world today. How many leaders can we point to? Yes, Zelensky right now, obviously, right? But we can probably name a hundred on the other side for people who have shown up as craven and completely lacking in principles, right? And completely opportunistic. You need moral courage and you need personal power, not positional power, right? Not the power that comes from having a title and a chair and all of that, but actually it comes from within. So if you think about a Gandhi, Gandhi was never elected to anything, never the head of any organization. He literally had zero positional power. And yet he had extraordinary personal power that came from his own being, right? And how he cultivated himself and the way he taught others to do those and inspired Mandela and King and and so many others. So strength is number one. Then energy and enthusiasm. And I think conscious leaders are driven by purpose, driven by something transcendent and important in the world. And that feeds them. That gives them tremendous enthusiasm and energy. And then the next one is love. You have to be rooted in love. And that combination is critical. Strength without love is tyranny. We've had lots of those leaders in the last century from Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Mao and many others in the world today. Uh, Love without strength is ineffective. So it's that combination. As Martin Luther King said, we must be tough-minded and tender-hearted. So that combination. Then the F is for flexibility. You have to show up with the right energy in in a given situation. You can't be always showing up in the exact same way. And then long-term orientation. You're not thinking just like, I'm going to be CEO for five years, so let me just focus on what I can get outcomes in that time, and then I don't worry about what happens later. It has to go beyond your tenure. It even has to go beyond your lifetime. You know, as the uh, Iroquois Confederacy required of their chiefs, you think about the next seven generations. Or actually, you think about seven generations, like the three, four generations back and three, four generations forward. So how do you make sure that you're acting in a way that's aligned with that? And then the last three are different kinds of intelligence. So emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, and systems intelligence, right? So knowing yourself, knowing others, 
systems intelligence, understanding how things are interconnected and interdependent, and spiritualism, the role of meaning and purpose in your life and the lives of the people you lead. So that's what I have learned you know, about this. And I can think about great leaders who exemplify that in the world today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that if you like. You put the bar very high. Raj, I must admit, you know, you're selfless. How many of these eight qualities that you listed and Gandhi and Mandela are just human beings trying to go through life. These are very high bars for leaders, but leaders don't have to be Gandhi and Mandela to be leaders. Can they do they? You're right. Raj, wow, this is great. I couldn't write this down fast enough. I did. I got it all. And I noticed that you had two E's in self, energy and enthusiasm. So thank you for that. I like this and I'm going to be quoting you on this at some point, no doubt. But what I wanted to share is, Daniel, I heard what you said. And I think that there's perhaps one word, and you'll have to figure out how to add this to your acumen, that your acronym that's missing. And it's curiosity, right? The desire to learn, the willingness to expose yourself to new situations and new perspectives and so forth. And so to me, curious is absolutely part of the best leaders. And it's those leaders who choose to say status quo or I've learned everything I need to know to be good at this. No one's going to share with me something that I don't already know. It's that ego you were talking about earlier. Those are the CEOs who fail at some point, whether they fail in the role or they fail shortly after getting out of the role because they don't recognize how important getting those different perspectives are and being curious and wanting to know more and exposing themselves to opportunities to get different perspectives. Those leaders who are so embedded in their own ego, who say, I know everything. That is a critical one. And that acronym doesn't capture everything, of course. But if you look at probably the leader in the world today that I admire the most in the business world is Satya Nadella at uh, Microsoft. Satya came seemingly out of nowhere, although he had been at Microsoft in different roles. But, you know, he succeeded two larger-than-life characters, right? So there was Bill Gates and then there was uh, Steve Ballmer. Now, Gates was, of course, the brilliant kind of nerd, you know, arrogant Somebody came to him with an idea he didn't like. He would say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard and don't ever come to me with anything like that. And he created a culture in which everybody kind of became like that, right? Everybody's like a mini-me. Then you had Steve Ballmer, who was like the street fighter. I mean, he was just like pounding the desk and jumping up and down on stage and taking a sledgehammer and destroying a 3D logo of a competitor and just created like this frenzied energy, you know? And that those 14 years were terrible. Microsoft became almost an irrelevant company in the world and was headed towards death and decline. And then Satya comes along and really reconnects because they had achieved their purpose, which Bill Gates had articulated, right? A computer on every desk, a compelling vision when he articulated it. And by the time Satya came along, it was pretty much commonplace, right? And having a computer was not an unusual thing. But he created a new sense of purpose. But very importantly, he brought empathy into that culture. He modeled vulnerability at his first offsite meeting with his team, He shared his own challenges in his life, his special needs son, severely disabled, who actually died about a month ago now. His daughter, I mean, it's just his upbringing, everything about himself at a very deep level. Everybody then opened up and they all connected at a human level and they made empathy one of the key virtues, qualities of Microsoft's culture, empathy for yourself, empathy for each other and for the customers and understand their pain and how can we be part of solving that. 
But another big thing was what Kelly just talked about, which is a growth mindset. Microsoft was full of smart people who are highly educated and accomplished in their field. And it used to be a, a sort of a know-it-all culture. Now it's more of a learn-it-all. Everybody is always learning. You have a beginner's mind, right? And you continue to cultivate that all along. And you learn from each other and you learn from, uh, you know, from our side. So you're constantly growing and evolving, which I think is true even if you're not a leader as a human being. The day you stop growing is the day you start dying, right? So that's something that we as humans should be doing. So, yeah, I think they are. And, you know, if you look at the track record, you know, what Satya Nadella has done in his uh, now eight years as CEO, he's taken that company from 300 billion to 2.3 trillion in market value, like the second most valuable company in the world. No CEO has ever created that much value, but no more than that. It's also on all the other dimensions, right? If you look at their sustainability, environmental side, if you look at diversity, if you look at the future of work, if you look at every dimension, this company is ranked number one yes. on the just capital rankings. And, and it came out of nowhere. I thought Microsoft was an irrelevancy now. Yes. Suddenly he's, he's made them into a, an extraordinary company. It shows the power of leadership. Exactly. So the power of how a single person at the right time understand the, the zeitgeist basically of that time and can change the direction of a company, you know, 2.3 trillion is not a bad number. But the ability or the willingness to learn, I think the curiosity, Kelly, that you bring us, it's a wonderful addition. I wonder whether or not as part of this whole construct of selfless and which I took notes too, and I will quote you to Raj in the future because I like it. It has the rings of truth. I wonder actually as part of that, you mentioned enthusiasm and Kelly, you also mentioned some positive features as part of this curiosity. Is being optimistic a key component of all that, a key dimension, almost like orthogonal to all that, that covers all these dimensions, just seeing the positive in things. So, you know what, many years ago in an organization I was working in, there was a statement that we used to use. And I'm now that you say it this way, I'm desperately trying to put it into my head, but it was about seeking abundance as opposed to looking at Scarcity. Scarcity. Thank you. Yes. And so in a way, it is about being optimistic, but it's about recognizing, I think, and this has proven very successful for my career, is recognizing that it isn't an or, it's an and, right? How can we make sure from an optimistic standpoint, from a view it as abundance, as opposed to saying, there's only so little and I'm going to hang on to it with both hands. And so having optimism and being curious and the growth mindset, as you say, Raj, all of those things makes people want to know more. And when we limit, whether we do it ourselves or someone limits it for us, the opportunities to do that, we miss so many innovative ideas and putting something that we just learned over here together with something we already knew that gets us so much further along the way than if we weren't looking for new information. 